0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. We're finishing up our series of the pastoral epistles where we've taken time to watch as the Apostle Paul has penned these personal letters. Remember, this is what has made these Pastoral epistles, different and unique, is that they are not written to churches. They're not written to the Church of Rome or to the churches of Galatia or to the Church of Corinth. But they are written to individuals who are acting in the role of a pastor. That both Timothy and Titus were Paul's sons of the faith. That Paul had the privilege of leading them to the Lord. He had the privilege of discipling them and training them. And now they are co-laborers of the Apostle Paul, helping him in the mission field in various areas. And we now find our way to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 3. If you remember, the apostle Paul has been arrested. He is in a prison in Rome, and not just in a prison. He's thrown in the dungeon, and he knows that he is going to be executed very, very soon. This is his last words, and he is spending time to write his last words to encourage Timothy to continue, not to quit the ministry, not to to jump ship, not to fall away, but to continue in the things that he has been taught, and so now we find as the apostle Paul begins to wrap up this letter, and almost an urgency and a darkness as Paul is thinking about how dark things are, and and the very end of his life, he is writing to his son in the faith Timothy to give him some warnings, and so if you don't mind, to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Second Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of Second Timothy, chapter number 3, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives. Silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jamborees withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3? The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 5, notice the phrase, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. If you don't mind, I'm going to shorten the title to just this, a powerless form, a powerless form. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace and understanding, give us discernment with this, that we can not only see where things are, but where things are going, and that we can understand what you are speaking about in a clear way, and that because of this, that we would depend upon you even more. As we come to you, we admit that you are God of all power, of all glory, of all praise, of all adoration, that you are God who is able, and that there's nothing That is impossible with our God. As we come to you, we just ask that you would speak, that you would be clear, and that you would change lives in ways that people weren't even expecting when they first came in these doors. Because you are able and you have the power. If there's anything that would quench your spirit, if there's anything that would be in your way, any distractions, any thoughts, that you would set them aside now and that you would arrest the attention of people so they could see you high, holy, and lifted up. Because of all of this, and because this is a spiritual matter, I know that I cannot do this. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you can get your own work accomplished once again. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to his son in the faith, he's now getting to the end of this letter, and he starts off with this famous phrase, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that is a true statement. Perilous times shall come. But perhaps we should understand what is he speaking about the last days. We know according to prophecy from Daniel and what God has given to us, the last days are from the times of Christ and his disciples to the when Jesus Christ comes back. So, it's the last days, from Christ and his disciples to the last time. We know that we are living in the last of the last days. If we were going to put a time frame around it, we are in the last of the last days. But in the last days, there is a description. And this is what we find here. Notice this description of what is given here in verse number two. So in the last days, perilous times shall come. What is a description of it? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. So let's think about this. In the last days, people should love themselves and think about how great they are. Notice if you don't mind, they should be covetous. The idea of covetous is the idea of desiring something that's not God's will for you to have. People are covetous. They are boasters, proud. They're blasphemers. Notice this, they're disobedient to parents. Do you know that this is a description of the last days, is that Children would be disobedient to parents. Notice this. It says they will be unthankful. Do You think we live in a society that's unthankful? Mm-hmm. Notice this. Unholy. Without natural affection. You know, there's something to it now where even mothers don't even love their own children like they ought anymore. And you can hear stories and, and, and things that go on. Truce breakers. You remember a day where a handshake was all that you needed? Now you have to have it uh, three-part triplicate, and even then you have to have lawyers do all their legalese to it, and then still hope they're going to keep their word? Truce breakers. False accusers. Do we live in a society now where people will accuse falsely? Absolutely. Turn on the news. Incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Do we live in a society that people despise those that are good? Notice this, traitors, heady, high-minded. Notice it uses this word high-minded. It's already said boasters, proud, uh, lovers of their own self. There's almost a theme for the fourth time it carries the idea that people are gonna love themselves, they're gonna be proud, they don't care what everybody else says, that they're, <coughs> they're high-minded They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's part of the last, last days. Now, before we continue on, may I also burst your bubble now and say this is true of all of history? Do you know that there's actually societies that are worse than ours? You could go back through history and study them. This is not something special and nothing unique. Well then you say why is this a characteristic of last days because verse 5 now tells us who does this characterize notice with me in verse 5 having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away and verse number 5 we understand that this list is not talking about the heathen world this list is not talking about Hollywood or Washington it's not talking about liberals or conservatives it's talking about church people. In the last days, church people, people who call themselves followers of God, will be lovers of their own selves. In the last of the last days, not the world, the world has always been filthy, the world has always been wicked, the world has always been awful. But in the last of the last days, it is people who call themselves believers, people who call themselves Christians, who will be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Could you imagine that? That there are church people, Christians, people who call themselves good people who will disobey their parents. Can you believe this? That there are church people who are unthankful. There are people in churches today that are unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. Can you imagine that? That Christians can't be trusted. Just as a little statistic. do You know who banks hate lending money to the worst? Churches. Because churches have a hard time paying it back, and the banks look bad when they have to close down a church. They hate lending to a church, because it's hard for them to keep their word. Truce breakers, false accusers. You mean other Christians? People who call themselves Christians will accuse people falsely? incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. You mean there's Christians who will actually despise people who are trying to stand for the truth? Absolutely. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You mean that there is some church in the Green Bay area today where there's a church that are full of people that love themselves, love pleasure more than God? Absolutely. Absolutely we could give you their address you understand this is a characteristic of the last of last days is that christians no longer behave like christians that believers no longer believe or act like believers that christians act just like the rest of the world and they don't stand out and they are not different And the result of this is Christians no longer behaving like Christians. Christians no longer following after Christians. Christians who are no longer holy. The result of that is verse number five. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know, someone someday is going to wake up and say, hey, where's God's power? Where is God? Where is the God of Elijah? Where's the God who did all the miracles? Did he run out of gas? Did he die? Is he in a convalescent home? Where's he at? Is he on vacation? Let me tell you, God has not lost his power, not one little bit. He still has power. The problem is not a problem with God, it is a problem with God's people. And we have lost the power that God has. Why don't we see lives changed all the time? We don't have the power. One thing that you'll figure out pretty quickly is that man, he has some power, but he has very little power. You cannot change someone's life and you cannot change someone's mind. By the way, that was never your job. That was God's job. But because we don't have the power of God, it's all left to us. And now we have to work something up. Why don't people go to churches anymore? Because God's not there. That's the only thing that makes church going worth there is that God's not there. And if God's not there, a lot of churches, God hasn't shown up and they don't even miss him. But because they don't have the power of God, because they don't have God's spirit working, now they have to work something else up to keep people coming. So they have entertainment, and they have clowns for Christ, weightlifters for the Lord. Uh, They have all these other things to distract people that they don't have the power of God there. And it's missing. And the Bible says that they have a form of godliness. We call ourselves Christians. We have a culture of Christianity, but no power. No power. From such, turn away. Now, the idea of form has to deal with appearance. It indicates substance. There's a substance there. From all appearances, it looks right, but there's something missing. There's something missing. We don't want to be that type of church. So we have to understand what is it saying here? What, is, what are we looking for? We understand the power is dealing with the power. It's dealing with the power that God has. There's a power that only God has. And there are things that God and God alone can do that man cannot do. We have to get to the place where we're no longer satisfied with what we can get accomplished. We want to desire more than what we can get done. And that we have to realize that it's God's job to do it. And depend and trust in him. Let God do his work and stop trying to do it for him. Stop trying to work it up and trying to fake it. And trying to deceive people. And trying to fool them. We're nobody. He's everything. He's the one that we have to depend upon. He's the one that's able to change lives. And so if you don't mind taking verse number five as an outline, I'd like to walk through and just explain to you a little bit more about this passage and the power of God that God has available, unfortunately, the power that is missing. Notice, if you don't mind, the first thing here, the danger of this powerless form. The danger of this powerless form. Now, the power of the Lord is what we need in the ministry. It is what God and God can do, uh, what God and God alone can do. Now, man can do some things, and we watch man accomplish things in his own power. He's been able to build things and to have feats. We understand that a man could build a crowd, only God can build a church. Man can say some good words and he can convince somebody to do something temporarily, but he cannot change the heart. You think about this, that God has the power to change someone's life. God can change someone who's a drug addict and turn them into a good citizen. God can change someone who's living in sin and turn them into good parents. And almost the biggest miracle of all, he could turn good moral people into godly people. You understand there's a difference. You could live a good moral life and not be godly. And that's our problem, is that Christians are the best people in the world, is the idea of morals. That we try not to lie, we try not to steal, we try to do good things, we try to help people, we're willing to give. But just because you're good doesn't make you godly. And it is only people who are godly and following after God will God, will have the power of God upon them. And the problem is, is that we get satisfied being good. We get the satisfied of being moral. We have the idea that we have a Christian culture that we now live in that's safe and secure, and we have no power of God. And we don't miss it. Until you need a miracle and then you get desperate. Please pray for Aunt Jody; She's dying and she doesn't know Jesus is her savior. And it's like a big deal. But you understand we should be seeing people change their lives all the time. Because God has the power to do so. He's able to work. He is able to forgive sins. Only God is able to forgive sins. You know that you can't forgive someone's sins? might remember in Mark chapter 2. You had the four friends who had a friend who was stuck on a bed. And they had to get to Jesus, but they couldn't because of the press. And so they got on top of the guy's roof and opened up the roof and lowered down the guy. And his friend, can you imagine Jesus is teaching? All of a sudden, dust starts falling, and then you see sunlight. And everyone looks up as the bed raises. And this is different. And Jesus talks to the guy, and he says... Your sins are forgiven and everyone starts going, wait a second, wait a second, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, hey, which is easier, to forgive someone's sins or to tell them to rise up and walk? And he says, just to prove that I have the power to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And the guy grabbed his bedroll and walked right out. God has power to do such things. He is able to forgive. Only God is able to forgive. Why don't we see it more? Because we're stuck in our own power and not letting God do His own work. We are in the way and we have a powerless form. This powerless form does not. Have the power of God. Notice what it does have. Notice in verse 5. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So they look godly, but they don't have God's power behind it. The Bible says, from such turn away. For of this sort. So this sort of people is godly, but they don't have the power of God. For this sort, they creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust. So what they do is they go target people who who are more helpless, more susceptible, and they don't change their lives. They pat them on the head and bring them in. Jeremiah chapter six and Jeremiah chapter eight say the same thing. That they've healed the hurt of my daughter slightly. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. You know what people do? Is they bring people in and pat them on the head and say, there, there, God still loves you. And by the way, that's a true statement. But you know, people don't need to be just taught that God loves you. They need to be told the truth that they are sinners. For all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And because of our sins, we deserve to be separated from a holy God. Because of your sins, you don't deserve to go to heaven Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. You deserve death. The word death there carries the idea of separation. That when you die because of your sin, you don't deserve to go to heaven. Unfortunately, when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons, but man goes there by default Because he is a sinner and he cannot be in the presence of God. That's a problem. People need to be told that. You said, that's bad news, preacher. I understand, but people need to be told the bad news before they can be told the good news. The good news is that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He gave you the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ robed himself in flesh and dwelt on this earth as Jesus Christ. He lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks, and then he died to pay the price that you and I owed him. He was buried on a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he arose again. And when he arose again on the third day, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God, and it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. And that all that is left is for someone to admit that they're a sinner. And because of their sin that they deserve hell. But then they came to the place they realized Jesus died for them. And they personally accept him as Savior. And when that happens a miracle of miracle happens. God forgives you of all of your sins. Every single one. The stuff you used to do. The stuff you did today. And the stuff you did in the future. Jesus paid it all. And you didn't do a single thing. Remember, a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All that you do when you pray is that you're accepting the gift that he gave you. He did all the work. He did it all. God has the power. If God has power and he could save everyone, how come more people aren't getting saved? Because we're depending on ourselves more than the power of God. And we get frustrated because we don't have enough power. That's one of the signs of the last days. And by the way, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Because we are part of that list. We know that it's a form of godliness. And that there are churches and homes without this power. Just because someone is a Christian doesn't mean they have a Christian home. Just because you put the label Christian doesn't make it Christian. The idea does it please God. It does it have God's power on it. Why is it so dangerous? Well, notice with me in verse number seven. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You know, we live in a time where we have more information than ever before. Information is not the problem. Truth is the problem. We have a dearth of truth. And what happens is that people are learning and they're ever learning, but they're not obedient to it. That's the key. You could be in the greatest church with the greatest preacher preaching from the Bible, but if you do nothing with the truth, it does you no good. Notice when I said that list, that four times it deals with the idea of proud, the idea of heady, high-minded, proud, lovers of their own selves. Knowledge puffeth up, the Bible says. You can have a lot of knowledge, but if you do nothing with it, it hurts you. It is only as we obey God that we see the power of God. It is only that we obey God that we see God work. It's that obedience, that stepping out. But instead, this is the description we have. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they're not willing to be obedient to what they have. You know, there are many people who have heard that they're sinners. And they had no problems with it. I, I was a pastor in the Bible Belt for a long time. They're willing to admit that I'm a sinner. Hey, I'm a sinner. You talk to them. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Have you ever disobeyed your folks? Yes. Are you a sinner? Yes. They're, they're free to admit it. They're free to admit that because of their sin, they deserve hell. Yeah, I was growing up in church. Yeah, I believe that we deserve hell because of our sins. They can admit it. They can even agree that Jesus died for them. Bible Belt. Yeah, Jesus died for me. But the problem is, is that they never personally came to the place where they accepted Jesus for their own selves. And so now they don't have it. They know knowledge, but they've done nothing with it. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you personally asked Jesus to be your savior? If not, let me tell you that the greatest thing that could happen to you today is for us to take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. That would be our great privilege. We would love for that to happen. But have you ever acted on it? Having knowledge is one thing, But being obedient to that knowledge is something different. The same thing with a Christian. You've been taught a lot of things in church. What are you doing with what you know? And if we're not obedient, we won't have the power. This is why it's so dangerous that we could have people, even in a church like this, where the Bible is taught, you can get so fat and happy with Bible knowledge, but still have no power because you're not obedient to the things that were taught to you. And then we wonder why things don't work. God has great power and he can do great things. But we're stuck with a powerless form. A form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Which brings me to the second thing. Not only why is this powerless form so dangerous. But we also see the denial of the power. The denial of the power. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 8. Now, as Janus and Jamborees withstood Moses, now, who in the world is this? Janus and Jamborees withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. We see this denial of power now, Janus and Jamborees is a two unnamed sorcerers that we find in the book of Exodus. If you don't mind, would you hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Exodus and let's see what the Bible is referring to. Look back with me in the book of Exodus in chapter number 7. Of course, if you're familiar with Scripture, what is going on in history, and may I remind you that this is history, this is an imagination, this is not a mythology, this is an acute story. This actually happened. This is history. But remember that the Israelites were held into bondage in Egyptian captivity for 400 years. And they had cried out for a deliverer. So God sent a man by the name of Moses, who was 80 years old at this time, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now the Egyptians had more gods than any other civilization except for maybe the Hindus today. But they had thousands of gods. So Moses said, hey, they're going to ask which God sent you. And God said, hey, tell them that I am sent you. The Jehovah Jireh, the self-sufficient one. And just to prove that I have power, what's in thy hand. And Moses said, that's a rod. He says, put it on the ground. And when he put it on the ground, it turned into a snake. Whoa, what would you do if you threw down your cane and it turned into a snake? And then God said, hey, pick him up. And Moses said, well, I have a hard time speaking. Now I have a hard time hearing. What? Pick it up. And he picked it up and turned back into a staff. And he says, this is just a picture of the power of God. You go to Pharaoh and you say, let my people go. And if he questions you, you throw down the staff and you watch as that staff turns into a serpent. And then you see Pharaoh's reaction. With the idea that, man, if you could just see that this God has power. They have thousands of God. But if you say that your God has power, then maybe he'll listen. All right? So let's see what happens. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Exodus chapter 7. And pick it up with me in verse number 10. Exodus chapter 7 and verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, can you imagine in the middle of the court, Pharaoh let my people go and he puts down the staff and everyone's going, whoa, it's a snake, it's a a serpent. Notice this now, verse number 11. Then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. Pharaoh said, oh, that's no big deal. Guys, show them. And they threw down their serpents and they became, or they, rods and they became serpents. They said, you're God. We're not worried about his power. We, can, we have power of our own. And they imitated God's power. Now, what was different is that theirs was an illusion. Uh, Aaron's was real and his staff ate the rest of their snakes. Then he picked it back up and said, all right. But Pharaoh wasn't convinced. You see what we have here? A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They denied God's power. Instead of saying, whoa, that's God, they said, it's nothing to that. No big deal. And so they go on. Notice as we pick up this story in Exodus chapter 7. May As we turn there, Exodus chapter 7, we're going to verse number 19. You know that we live in a religious country. 80% of our country is religious or Spiritual. We live in a place where they like the supernatural, they like spiritual, but also 80% of the people deny that there's only one way to heaven. They believe there's many ways to heaven. We live in a very spiritual country, but they deny the power thereof. Oh, anyway, you can get to heaven any number of ways. That's not what the Bible says. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in verse number 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, Say unto Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the waters of Egypt, upon their streams and upon their rivers and upon the ponds and upon their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish... That were in the river died. And the river stank. And the Egyptians could not find. Could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. So here. Let's show the power of God. Let's see how much power God has. And so Aaron took his rod. And smote the waters. And the Nile River. The life-giving river. Turned into blood. And because fish can't breathe blood. They died. But it wasn't just the river. People would go home into their cabinets and they would have the pitcher of water and they'd pour it. And it was blood. By the way, it wasn't red algae that made it look like blood. It was blood. God is showing his power with the idea that Pharaoh would look at this and see the mighty Nile who they worshipped as a god. Their mighty Nile had no power whatsoever. That God had power. And you would almost think watching all of this miracle of the water turning into blood. That Pharaoh would say, never mind, your God's right, I'm wrong. What do you want to do? But instead, notice with me in verse number 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken to them as the Lord said. So the magicians said, Pharaoh, we can do the same thing. And so they put on their little magic tricks. Now, I want you to think about this. That Moses and Aaron just ruined all of the water in Egypt, according to their perspective. So you know what the magicians did? They polluted more water just to show them we can do the same thing. Did that help their problem? It made it worse. You know what Satan can do? He is an imitating power. He imitates God's power... For the purpose of distracting people that God really has power. And if you keep people distracted with their power, what they can do, what can get accomplished, they don't depend on God. And that's where the power comes. It is the only power in the world that you have to surrender to get. And God has great power. And so it goes on. Notice with me in chapter 8. And the Lord spoke unto Moses. Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him. Thus saith the Lord. Let my people go that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go. I will smite thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Which shall go up and come into thy house. Into thy bedchamber, And upon thy bed. And upon the house of the servants. And upon thy people. And into thy ovens. And into thy kneading trout, And the frogs shall come up both on thee. And upon thy people and all thy servants. And the Lord spoke Spake unto Moses and say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thy hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And so they put the frogs, and they went everywhere. Now, according to Egyptian lore, the god Hecht was the frog god, and it was worshipped as a powerful god. And under Egyptian religious culture, it was illegal to kill any kind of frog. But the frogs are everywhere. When you get in your bed at night, there's frogs. When you're in your room, there's frogs everywhere you step. When you open up your ovens to put in your bread, the frogs jump in. When you're mixing the bread, the frogs are jumping in. They're everywhere. How would you like to have frogs all over? In your sleeping bag and all over. And you know what the Egyptians did? They used their enchantments imitating God's power and they brought more frogs. Now is that helping the problem? All they're doing is imitating God's power for the purpose to deny God has power. That is our world today. Is they like to imitate God's power. Denying that God and God alone has power to forgive. That God and God alone has the power to change lives. That God and God alone. For the purpose that we become self-reliant. Rather than God dependent. And this is why we don't have power. Is because we get satisfied with what man can do. And what man can talk about. What man's imaginations are. And we're not dependent on God. And what God can do. By the way, one of my favorite passages since we're here. Later on, Moses goes up. Uh, Pharaoh calls him and says, Moses, Aaron, get rid of the frogs. And they ask him, Pharaoh, when do you want us to get rid of the frogs? And the most outstanding answer he has, tomorrow. One more night with the stinking frogs, one more night in sin. I had a terrible time with them last night, and I just want to do it again. It always be a puzzle to me to think about that. He could have said, hey, get rid of them now. But tomorrow, I'll get right with God tomorrow. May I tell you that you don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. That if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior now, now is the accepted time. Now is the time to get right. If you are saved and you are not currently right with God, tomorrow is not acceptable answer. Today is the day to get it right. Today is to make the decision to follow after God. Satan has power, but Satan has limited power. The next one is that God had Aaron hit the dust of the earth, and from the dust, it turned into flies. And the magician said, nope, can't do that, because Satan cannot create. He can only imitate. When someone gets saved... God creates a brand new creature. Satan cannot do that. Someone can put a a brand new coat of paint on an old fence. But it doesn't do anything with the inside. Man's pretty good at trying to make you look good on the outside. God changes you from the inside. And that is what people need. They don't need to be told how to carry their Bible and how to wear their tie and how to look right and say the right things. They need to be changed from the inside out. And only God can do that. When you get frustrated with someone's behavior, you can't fix their behavior. They have to be fixed from the inside or it doesn't happen. It is artificial. God has to do the changing, and that is God's power and God's alone. You think about that we are more religious than ever before in our country, but it is in worse shape than it's ever been because religion doesn't help. God can help. So we understand how dangerous this powerless form is. We see the idea of denying this powerless form. But one more thing, if you don't mind, the discernment to turn away the discernment to turn away. In verse number five of 2 Timothy chapter three, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Notice if you don't mind in verse number nine. But they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was. You know what we see here is that the Egyptian... um, sorcerers were want, proved that they did not have power it was now manifest it was now made evident before everyone for us we need to turn away from this powerless form because we have discernment what is discernment discernment carries the idea of far seeing it's not just seeing where you're at currently it's seeing where you're headed every decision every belief that you have needs to see where does it take you does it take you closer to god Or does it just make you look like you are close to God? Eventually, it will be evident that you are not close to God. It will be made manifest. It will be proven. And it will be proven before all men. However, if you're following after God and God's doing the work, it will be manifest for that too. But this is the idea of discernment. It is far-seeing. Discerning people are able to kind of see, where does this path take me? Come here, Kristen, let me show you. Let me give you an example. Let's say I want you to walk straight when I say go. We'll go step by step. Now, at the moment, we look like we're together. However, I'm angled at a slight angle. Right now, it looks like we're the same, but take a step. We're still together, but there's a little bit of a gap. Discernment is understanding where I'm going. It's different than where she's going. Take another step and another and after time, you could see that they are not going to the same place. They are not going the same direction. They are not going the same thing. That is discernment. Not seeing where they're at, but where they are going. The Bible says uh, this idea of a powerless form from such turn away. Because we understand a powerless form does not bring us the results we want. Only God, and God alone can work. You can fake it for a while, and there is a lot of Christian people who are faking it. But they don't have the power of God. And it will show up eventually that they were bankrupt. That they, could, they, they found out they didn't have the power to work in someone's life. They didn't have the power to change their marriage. They didn't have the power to change their lives. And by then, it's oftentimes shipwreck and consequences and dangerous things. We should desire what God and God alone can do. And this comes as we're obedient to him, as we're dependent upon him, as we realize that it's not about me, it's about him. By the way, how do we get discernment? The Bible talks about we get discernment, in the book of Hebrews, by exercising discernment. You get more discernment by using discernment. Kind of like a piano player. How do you get better? Practice, 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 practice. By being discerning, you get more discernment. Without using discernment, you don't see. There's less that you see. How does doctrine line up? Where is it headed? Where are you going? We see this idea that Paul is trying to tell Timothy that there's going to be a lot of religion out there, but very few power of God. Very little of the power of God. That as the last days approach, it is church people that say, Look, I'm a Christian, but you can't see God changing lives around them. They're good people. They sit in their pews, they try not to tell lies, they try to do their best, but they're missing something vital. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Now, may I ask you a question? Are you tired? Are you tired of just getting accomplished what we can get accomplished? Is this church tired of just puddling along to saying we can get accomplished what we can do? We're just doing our best. Or is there someone somewhere craving inside that says, I want to see God do something. I want it to be that in 10 years time when people say, what happened here? The only thing that we could say is it wasn't us, just God did it. That's what we want. If you can explain it, then God didn't do it. It's not a formula. It's just letting God do what he's doing. To get out of his way, just make ourselves at his disposal and letting God work. Basically, we have a choice for your life and for this church. Do we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof? Or... Are we dependent on God and let God do his own work? And we just watch and go, wow. Now, when I say watch, it doesn't mean to stand stale. It means to be obedient to what God's given us to do. But God has lots of power and he can still change lives and he can still do miracles. Do you want that? Now, let me back up a little bit. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you could witness a miracle today. It'd be our great privilege to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you can be forgiven of your sins and the miracle of miracles is that God can change who you are. God does it. Maybe you're someone in here that you said, I'm saved, but I haven't been following God. And you, you might even admit that it says, I can't change myself. Praise the Lord, you cannot. But God can change you. God can change you. Would you let him? It'll be our great privilege to kind of show you your next step. And that's the Christian life. It's just the next step, and then the next step, and the next step. For those of you who are members of the church, don't you want something more than what we can do? We can have it because God offers it. We just have to get back in obedience to God and get out of his way and realize it's all dependent on God less dependent on me than what i think it's all about god thank you for listening to this audio message this is pastor scotty bach and i encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the lord if you don't know jesus christ is your savior let me beg you to take the time